Good morning. Really, really glad you're here. Glad for those of you who are connecting with us online. Um, show of hands, everybody, if you'll participate in this. I, how many of you guys in the room have a mother? About 95% of the hands went up. Worried about a few of you. Make sure you wish him a happy Mother's Day if you can. I cannot. My mom died a few years ago, but I'm looking forward to that time when I can. That'll be cool. Guys, we've been unpacking one verse since January. Here is that verse. Jesus says to us, he says, if any of you wants to be my disciple, any of you, you have to deny yourself. You must take up your own cross every single day and follow me. And that's been kind of the template for our <clears throat> the last couple of months. In February, we talked about denying ourselves, And uh, March was about taking up our cross. And April was about daily. And now it's May. And this month, we're going to look at the stories of some people who had a chance to follow Jesus. Some did, some didn't. We're going to focus on four stories in the biography of Jesus written by a guy named John who was one of Jesus' closest disciples. John saw it all up close. He was in the story. And we're going to kick it off this morning by doing something pretty weird, even for us. We're going to watch about a 10-minute clip from a very, very powerful series called The Chosen. It pictures an encounter with Jesus that we're going to talk about when the clip is over. By the way, if you guys are connecting with us online, <clears throat> we're giving you a link to the clip in case the one on Facebook or YouTube hangs up. So here it is. I asked the owner of this house for more lanterns, but he said they would draw attention. Yes, I imagine they would. The human eye is drawn to light. We can't help it. It just happens. There are many things we are drawn to without our thinking or our ability to explain why. Thank you for agreeing to meet. Thank you for trying to help Mary when you did. <sighs> it was no help. You were meant to be there. Me? I could fail miserably at an exorcism in the Red Quarter. <laughs> if you had not been there that day, would you be on this roof tonight? I don't know where to start. I have so many questions. I... Shall we sit first? Oh, yes, of course. slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having 
God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? (laughs) (laughs) Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents. And they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. 
from spiritual death. God loves the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? Shh. When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students I said, she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. The healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see. Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I... I, I can't. You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. To what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life? To, to give up who I am? It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? <laughs> uh, maybe. I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter at dawn. Is this... Is the kingdom of God really coming? Does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and, and wonder. It can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. <laughs> holy roof, anyway. the sun.
thirsty, be angry, and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. By the way, one of our elders, Logan Haynes, is going to be teaching a class here in the fall on the Jesus story, using the chosen as a window in. <clears throat> it's going to be really, really good. Well, let's dig deeper into the story, see where it comes from. Nicodemus is a guy like a whole lot of us. Seems like he was a really good guy. In fact, he'd be the kind of guy that was in church every week, probably one of the team leaders, one of the elders, maybe the preacher. An extremely moral man, deeply religious man, a guy who was clearly intrigued by Jesus, like a lot of us. A Jesus admirer, at least. And he was a man who was in a boatload of spiritual trouble, like many of us. You see, guys, it's not enough to respect Jesus. It's not enough to admire Jesus only. The question is, are you going to follow him? And that's what this story is about. Well, this Nicodemus knew there's a God. In fact, in the history of the world, the absolute overwhelming majority of people have believed in some kind of God. It takes too much faith not to. And he believed that doing life with God, for God, God's way, was, that's what we were meant for. Because he also knows something that you probably know. We humans are different, right? We have physical bodies like the animals do, but we function also in a spiritual world. We have souls too. We sense there's a God. We sense there's a spiritual world out there. And we've got this fascination for the spiritual, almost this magnetic pull towards the spiritual. It's almost as if God has planted eternity in the human heart, as Solomon said one time. We know we're made for more. Which is why, since there really is a God, and since Jesus really is the Son of God, and because God did make us to do life with Him, it only makes sense that all of us feel this God-driven tug towards Jesus. You felt it. Nicodemus did too. But Jesus confused him. Listen, guys, we're talking about God. And if God doesn't blow your mind, then you're not thinking about God. Actually, the Nicodemus story in the biography of Jesus by John starts at the end of the, very, of the previous chapter. John tells us this. He says, because of the miraculous signs that Jesus was doing in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many people began to trust in him, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. He says no one needed to tell him about human nature because he knew what was in every person's heart. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Because of the kinds of things that Jesus was saying and doing, people were starting to believe in Jesus, they thought. But Jesus wasn't really believing in their believing. They were admirers maybe, but nothing more yet. Because Jesus looks past what we say to him, 
He looks directly into our hearts, which is kind of scary because you're not going to hide anything from God. Well, Nicodemus was one of those who was starting to believe in Jesus. He was a Pharisee, which means that he was one of their spiritual elite. He was incredibly serious about God. Pharisees were meticulous about how to please God. The clothes they wore mattered. The food they ate mattered. The amount of money they gave mattered. Everything mattered. And he was a member of their Sanhedrin, which is kind of like their Senate, their House, and their Supreme Court all rolled up into one. So he was a very, very important man. A little later, we're going to find out he's one of their lead teachers. In other words, when Nicodemus talked, he expected people to listen. And yet when he comes face to face with Jesus, Jesus sees right through him. He's starting to believe in Jesus, But Jesus knows that he's not there yet because Jesus didn't just listen to his words. He looked straight into the heart. Nicodemus is close, but is he willing to go from admirer to follower? Here it is. John says, after dark one evening, after dark one evening, Nicodemus goes to see Jesus. Now, that's kind of a weird little detail. Why does John mention the time of day? Why does it matter what time it was, how dark it was? But we wonder. We wonder whether Nicodemus was trying to be kind of like a ninja. Maybe he doesn't want anybody to see him meeting with Jesus. Maybe being seen with Jesus, listening to Jesus, wouldn't be politically correct in that day. Or maybe he figured it was the only time to have some uninterrupted time with Jesus. After all, Jesus was a busy man. Nicodemus was a busy man. Maybe it's the only time they could get their calendars together, he figured. Or maybe, maybe John thought darkness was fitting. See, the Gospel of John talks a lot about light and darkness, not physical light and darkness, but spiritual light and spiritual darkness. And if you're living in spiritual darkness, you need Jesus. So maybe the darkness was kind of a perfect setting in John's eyes for this meeting with Jesus. Nicodemus starts out very respectful. Rabbi, teacher, we all know that God sent you to teach us. This miraculous signs that you're doing are evidence that God is with you. And you think about that, and either Nicodemus is lying like a dog, or he's speaking only for those who are leaning in towards Jesus. Because most of the religious leaders weren't yet. In fact, they're quite skeptical about Jesus. And yet Nicodemus seems very serious. Some of us, Jesus, are very impressed. Your power is mind-blowing. You've got our attention. So who are you really? What's your agenda, really? What are you doing, really? And I suspect that Nicodemus expected Jesus to show equal respect back, courtesy. I mean, he's a prominent teacher. But it's kind of like Jesus blows right past his pleasantries, his words, right into his heart. No PC chit-chat. No mention of Nicodemus' status, credentials, good intentions. Not because they don't exist, but because they don't matter. Do you think God cares who you are, how important you are, how you are accustomed to be spoken to? Do you think God actually listens to your words instead of your heart? 
Come on. Jesus just dives in. I tell you the truth. Listen now, Nicodemus. Don't miss this. Don't blow this off. Unless you, Nicodemus, are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. I know you believe in God. I know that you're a deeply religious man. I know that you are a seriously good man. But I'm telling you, unless you are born again, you are not in. His words were mind-blowing to Nicodemus. They're absurd. They're almost crazy. See, Nicodemus is a good Jew. And back then, good Jews believed that if you're a good Jew, you are already in. Maybe if you're an apostate or something, or a big enough sinner, you might need to be born again. Or maybe if you're not a Jew at all, you're a Gentile, you might need to be born again. But he's already in, right? Nicodemus wasn't just an ordinary Jew, he was an elite Jew. Jesus looks at him and says, unless you, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, whatever that means, you're not in. You're out. Kind of like Jesus is changing the rules. Your belief in God won't cut it. Your belief about Jesus won't cut it. Your efforts to be a good man won't cut it. Your best won't cut it. Unless you are born again, you're out. Jesus says. And Nicodemus is kind of like, that's crazy, Jesus. Born again? Now, I don't know if Nicodemus was thinking that Jesus expected his words to be taken literally. Probably not. It's Mother's Day. You mamas are hoping that Jesus didn't mean it literally, right? But even spiritually, I don't think Nicodemus would have any issue with Jesus saying these words to an apostate or to a Gentile because they are dead spiritually. They need a spiritual quickening. But Nicodemus believed in God. He was already a good man. Why did he need to be born again? You and I might push back on Jesus for other reasons. Born again. Really? You can't just wipe out who you are. You can't wipe out where you've been or what you've done. I mean, it'd be cool to have a few spiritual mulligans, but I am who I am, right? <coughs> and Jesus is like, no, you're not. And you're certainly not close to what I meant you to be yet, but you can be. And what does it mean anyway to be born again? I think it was Max Licato who reflected a bit on what it means, and he says, birth. Birth is by nature a very passive act, right? Baby doesn't do much. Baby gets squeezed on, pushed on, twisted around, tugged on. It's the mom who does the work, right, mamas? Mom does the pushing, the sweating, the bleeding, the groaning. Mom is the one who pays the price of birth. She doesn't get the baby's assistance. She doesn't get the baby's advice. It's the same with a spiritual birth. Spiritual birth doesn't require an able infant. It requires a capable parent. And then there's that word born again, again. And if you're reading in a study Bible, you're probably going to see a note there that tells you that it can be translated differently. It can be translated either again or from above. You must be born again or you must be born from above. And they both work because we're hybrids, right? Part of us is physical, part of us is spiritual. 
Physical life requires a physical birth. Spiritual life requires a, phys- a spiritual birth. Physical birth gets us into the kingdom of this world. Spiritual birth gets us into the kingdom of God. No matter who you are, what your, who your parents are, what church you go to, what you've done, what your resume looks like, it still requires a spiritual birth. Because, Jesus says, listen, bottom line, no one, no one gets into the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce human life. It takes the Spirit of God to give birth to spiritual life. So the question is, have you been born again? Have you? I'm not asking whether you've been baptized. There are people who've been baptized who never did it from their hearts. Have you been born again? Have you actually accepted Jesus as your Savior and made Him your Lord? But it's hard, isn't it? Hard to process, hard to accept. So Nicodemus is kind of like, how? He's an academic, he's a scholar, he's a teacher like me. We want to understand the how. We're skeptical till we can process the how. Do you realize how stupid that skepticism is when you're talking about God? I'm not going to buy it, God, till it fits into my brain. <laughs> kind of like I'm not going to drive this car until I know exactly how every piece works. Well, I'm not going to use this phone again until I can figure out how every piece of it works. Or I'm not going to love again until I can figure out how a woman works. I'm not going to follow you, Jesus, until I can figure you out. Yeah, right. And Jesus is like, come on, Nicodemus, you're supposed to be a teacher. Can't you get the big idea? Let me give you two more clues. No one has ever gone to heaven and come back, but that's where I'm from. I'm the one you've been waiting for. You can feel it. You can sense it. You can see it in what I do. You can hear it in what I say. And you haven't even seen anything yet. And then he gives them a second clue. Jesus says, you, you, you know your Bible, Nicodemus. You remember the story about the time when the Israelites were grumbling about Moses out in the desert and God sent those poisonous snakes into their camp and people were getting bitten and dying. And you remember how Moses was told to shape this bronze serpent and put it up on a pole and raise up the pole and whoever would look upon that snake mounted on that pole, that person would live? Well, God's going to do it again this time bigger. Jesus says, God is going to nail me to a pole and I'm going to be lifted up and anyone who focuses on me, anyone who follows me will have eternal life. You will be birthed again spiritually by God through me. Everyone who believes in me, Jesus says, will have eternal life. That's how you're born again, to eternal life, Jesus says. Which means, listen guys, it means it's not about Jew or Gentile anymore. It's not about who your parents are. It's not about what we know. It's not about how religious we are. It's not about how good we are. It's not about anything we can do at all. It's about trusting what God will do in us, for us, to us, if we let him. And what comes next in the chapter by John is the Lucado calls the hope diamond of the Bible. You've heard it many, many times. 
For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that everyone, everyone who believes in him may not die but may have eternal life because God didn't send his son into the world to be its judge but to be our savior. One guy put it like this. He says, Jesus didn't come to make sick people well. He came to make dead people live. And without Jesus, spiritually, we're dead. So, what do you think Nicodemus chose to do? Here's what happens next in The Chosen. of food and lodging. to make it to a camp in Tiberias by nightfall. Simon is correct. Let's go. Are <laughs> you going to wear that? On a trip. These are my clothes. Should I have others? we don't know for sure what choice Nicodemus made maybe we're not supposed to because maybe we're supposed to write the ending how would you write it how have you written it what have you done with Jesus listen guys something drew you here today I don't know what it was Maybe it was a person. Maybe God had a hand in it too. Maybe you can sense it is all about Jesus. We were built by God to sense that. All of us were born once. That's why we celebrate a Mother's Day. But that only covers the physical part of who we are. Have you been born again by the Spirit of God through Jesus? It takes that second birth to enter the other kingdom that we were made for. It's not just about believing there is a God. It's not just about trying to be good. It's not about anything we can do at all. This birth is pretty passive. We just have to be willing 
to let God do it in us, to us, for us. You have to trust the incredible grace of our God. So listen, guys, if God is tugging on your heart now, don't leave here this morning without accepting the gift of Jesus. It's the most incredible gift that you can give to yourself, anybody that you love, even to your mom on a Mother's Day. We're going to have just a couple of minutes here. We're going to sing a song. If you want to chat about making Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm going to sit right down here. Vern's close. We've got a couple elders close. They'll come in. We'll be glad to talk to you. We've got an elder back in the prayer room praying for you right now. If you want to step back there, talk to him. Or if you want to hang here after the service, we'd be glad to talk to you. If you're nervous about doing it face-to-face right now, there's a little decision card in the chair in front of you. Put your name on it. Drop it on one of these things. And we'll contact you during the week. And we'll have a conversation. Let's pray together. Father, for Jesus, we give you our thanks. Give us the courage. Give us the wisdom to be children of God. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.